0: Hey everybody! Welcome to another Ithaca Bound podcast episode. I'm your host Andrew Shiestel, and this is the podcast where we explore history and mythology in the Mediterranean Basin. Today, I'm joined not with one guest, which has been typical protocol on the Ithaca Bound podcast, but today two guests join the show for the first time. So two times the fun. Dr. Mercedes Agia and Dr. Richard Buxton join the show to speak about the Cyclopes in Greek mythology. And this introduction, the recording of the introduction is being created after the conversation with Dr. Zagia and Buxton occurred. And if this conversation affects you to any degree in the the way that it affected me, this is going to be a a dialogue that you will be thinking about on and off for the next several days, possibly more. Um, Personally, it has helped uh, coalesce certain thoughts and ideas that I've I've had, and so this conversation is rich, it is dynamic, it's fun, uh, and it's also deep. Dr. Agia is honorary research fellow at the University of Bristol, based in the UK. She's also a scholar at the University of Complutense in Madrid, based in Spain. Dr. Buxton is a classical scholar specializing in the study of ancient Greek mythology and literature. He's also a emeritus professor at the University of Bristol, based in the UK. Together, they're authors of the book Cyclops, The Myth and Its Cultural History, which was published by Oxford University Press. Welcome to call, Mercedes and Richard. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) What happens in some episodes is when we get through the... Uh, main material of the given episode. I sometimes ask at the end, um, you, you know, why a guest is passionate about a certain topic or how they got on a certain topic, some some kind of question like that. I'm going to ask that type of question at the start of this episode instead. Um, how? Why did you two decide to write a book together, and and how did you get on the topic of the Cyclopes?
1: Okay, <laughs> I'll go in first. Right, well, we're both uh, experts in, in a sense on mythology. We like to think we are anyway, and we taught those in our home universities. Uh, I've been teaching a course on Homer, specializing in the Odyssey, and also Euripides, who wrote a, a satyr play called The Cyclops, and Theocritus, who wrote a couple of odes about Polyphemus, the love-lorn Cyclops. So that was part of it. Methodists have been working on the art, both antiquity uh, and some later retellings, reimaginings of the Cyclops' uh, story. And we thought we'd like to, to pull our thoughts. But this crystallised at a particular place. Maybe Methodists would like to tell you about where we were when, when the idea came to you.
2: Well, we were in Paris. We were in the Jardin de Luxembourg,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, where there is a very spectacular image of uh, Polyphemus, mm-hmm. and uh, that's where we started thinking more seriously about this uh, topic, this possibility of writing uh, something more seriously uh, on the on the on the
1: Cyclops. The Jardin de Luxembourg. The, what what method mm-hmm. is, is Is visualizing and me too is a wonderful statue in a grotto where you have a Polyphemus uh, in, what is he, he's in bronze, isn't he? Yes. A huge Polyphemus in bronze, clad in a bullskin, uh, looking over, spying over two recumbent marble figures who are his Polyphemus's lover, Galatea, and her lover, a handsome shepherd. Aces, and he's looking over them menacingly. Those two are oblivious, enjoying each other. We thought, has anyone written mm. a comprehensive study of the piece since antiquity until our day? The statue we're talking about was produced in, uh, in the 1860s. And the answer we came up with, no, not at least in the way that we thought was useful. So that was 10 years ago. Mm. Mm. and
2: uh, well. and then we started and uh, it has been a long long <laughs> long work uh, really a long journey a but we, journey but worth it we think
0: yeah and um for for clarity in case it's not obvious to uh, all the listeners uh listening so you guys you guys are a, a couple you're married as well right
1: yeah, as well. As well.
0: Yeah. As well. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Un- unlike
1: Polyphemus, who, was, who had the occasional liaison, but was terribly solitary.
0: And so the trip, did you say it was Luxembourg or Paris, when this sort of initial That's epiphany... Paris. Oh, in Paris. It, it was. It Paris. was Paris. So was that, were you there on scholarly duties at that time, or was it just personal travel? Well, I don't remember
2: exactly, mm. because we've been for... for in, Holidays, but also we've been there for for work. I think you had some meetings there with the link. And yeah,
1: uh, I don't remember exactly now. We normally try and combine. I was about to say that. Yeah, yeah. well,
0: why one. It was like yeah, like most trips in the Mediterranean, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: yes, absolutely. Exactly. How can you travel in the Mediterranean without enjoying? It?
0: Yeah. All right. So the Cyclops. What what is a Cyclops?
1: Me okay. <laughs> right. What is the cyclops? Well, I think we can answer that in in three ways at least. There were three different groups of cyclopes in antiquity. Uh, there were the master builders, people, men who huge giants who constructed uh, typically city walls with massive blocks of masonry, and so they were collaboratively. They belonged to a primeval time, so uh, you could travel around Greece and people would point out such places as Tiryns or Mycenae with their huge stone walls, and they would say it was the Cyclopes who built those. So that's one group. A second group were those who were celebrated in Hesiod's poetry as the weapons makers of the gods. He named three of them. They, they made, in particular, Zeus Thunderbolt, but they also made other objects or other divinities. And they, too, worked collaboratively. And they, in a way, had functional descendants who were the blacksmiths who worked with Hephaestus. So that's a second group. Now, the third group is more familiar to us from, for example, Homer's Odyssey, where in Book Nine we're told about one of the stopping-off places, or Odysseus, in a land where Polyphemus, one of these giants, and his fellow cyclopes used to used to have their pastoral existence. So we in the book call them pastoral ogres. And that's the third group. And there, the primordiality of the cyclopes, as with the other two groups, is clear. In a way, their marginality but also what's clear is their dangerousness because the pastoral ogres are human eaters. We don't quite know whether to call them cannibals or not because a cannibal is is a being which eats its own fellows. Uh, And occasionally the Cyclopes are described as men and occasionally as not like men at all. So I suppose whether you call them cannibals eaters of their own species is a moot point. But those would be the three groups, Andrew, in relation to your question. So we've got the master builders, we've got the weapons-making blacksmiths, and we've got the pastoral ovaries.
0: And do all three of those groups show up in some way or form? And you mentioned some things um, in your answer, Richard. Do all three of those groups show up in Greek mythology?
1: Indeed, they do. Um, the master builders are the least frequently mentioned, but occasionally we're told that X or Y invited them in to build some um, some walls or whatever it might be.
2: But not representing art, sorry?
1: Indeed, not represented in art. So never do we mm. find artistic. Yeah. Um, the blacksmiths we do get, don't mm. we? Reproduced in art as well, and we hear more about them uh, working in their forge in Mount Etna, um, and the pastoral ogres and Polyphemus in, poly
2: bit-
1: f- in 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 frequent mythological narratives.
0: Mercedes, when you th- when you look back at the research, what's the what's the first? Uh, citation that you can think of in artwork that comes to mind. Um, the 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 oldest approximate um, piece of artwork that represents Cy- Cyclops. What comes to mind? Well, uh,
2: as I've been working quite a lot in on Greek vases, mm. I think the the the, the earliest representation we got is. Uh, a, a big amphora uh, from Eleusis with uh, the blinding of Polyphemus, which is one of the themes which have been uh, more represented in, in uh, on, on Greek art, on the Greek vase painting, and uh, and then perhaps the, the other one, which is very representative as well, uh, does... A Roman sculpture, sculpture group, mm. which is the the one from the uh, Sperlonga, the, the grotto of Tiberio in, the, mm. in Sperlonga.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Richard, what when you think about early citations, what would you say, um, or Mercedes, if you want to jump in too on this one, um, what would you say is the oldest uh, citation that you can think of um, in terms of when the cyclops is referenced in Greek mythology that uh, contemporaries know about?
1: Well, you can could answer that in two ways, depending on how you relatively date Homer and Hesiod, mm-hmm. because uh, the two earliest textual representations, textual references, are in. The Odyssey, which some people would date to the 8th century BC, some to the 7th, and similarly in Hesiod's Theogony, which some people might date to the 8th century and some to the 7th. So you, we're not certain uh, which of those comes earlier. But there is a nice point, which maybe addresses your point, Andrew, in a different way. Um, in, in the Odyssey... The Cyclops is never explicitly said to be one-eyed. There is a single act of blinding by Odysseus of Polyphemus. And the inference from that is that he only had one eye mm. to blind. Mm. But it's never explicitly said that he was one-eyed. On the other hand, in Hesiod, the Cyclopes, the three Cyclopes that the poet mentions, again, going back to the archaic period, maybe late 8th, maybe 7th century BC, are explicitly said to be one-eyed. Mm-hmm. So some people argue that the Homeric account comes later because he didn't need to specify that the Cyclopes were one-eyed because he seen it already done it. Now, you work with that as you like, but uh, it's an argument at any rate.
0: Hmm. And when... When I when I did a cursory search online of uh, cyclopes, what what does seem to come up a lot um, in the search engine is these images of um, uh, presumably a cyclops, and it has it has the the one eye that you mentioned, sort of the central eye on the on the forehead. But then what I also noticed a lot were images where so the central eyes there in the middle of the forehead, but then there's also two eyes. But the eyes don't seem functional. Can you describe what? And maybe that's part of what you were getting at there, Richard. But can you describe why there's so many of these uh, illustrations and maybe even sculptures that show the two two eyes don't that don't appear to be functional, and then the one the one eye in the center of the forehead.
2: Well, I think that's part of uh, this complicated uh, idea of what a Cyclops actually is, which is something we we go into in our book, mm. which is that it's obvious that uh, things are not so simple because it's not just an image of a face with one eye, but sometimes, as you said, uh, they're represented with two closed eyes or blind eyes and then an, a third eye on, on, on its forehead. Uh, there are other representations in which we got a cyclops with two eyes only, not the third eye. So it's, uh, it's a, a lot mm. of ambiguity and a lot of um, contrast between these well, text,
1: but also
2: images.
1: One complicating factor comes in some Greek vase paintings, where you have the blinding depicted in profile. And you have Odysseus and his men holding uh, a sharpened wooden stake, forcing it into the eye of Polyphemus. But if the representation is in profile, then it can be quite unclear whether one eye is envisaged or two, or indeed whether a third eye could be believed to be present as well. So a lot depends on the medium. We occasionally get some is that uh, was in Berlin,
2: which is remember mm, that, quite mm, extraordinary. Yes, yes. Do you want to...? Yes, one which is, the, like, no, no, as you there is an image in which he's got two eyes, normal, like any other normal human figure, and then uh, he's got a kind of representation of what some authors have seen as uh, a third eye, but on his chest. Mm. And on his breast. And uh, so there is, again, a, a discussion no, about the the possibilities of all these representations. So
1: mm.
2: it's as if artists really don't know exactly how to represent
1: or, or all. Or there's, a, there's a, a spectrum of possibilities.
2: Exactly, exactly.
1: I know this podcast, and Andrew, and rightly so, is focusing on antiquity, but one of the the longer durée aspects of our book is to try to show how, to use the word method as I just use, complication sets in as regards the single eye. Because you talk to 12 people on Toronto High Street and mention the word cyclops. Every single one of them, Andrew, will say it's something with one eye. Mm. Now... In antiquity, that's by no means the case. You have variability. You have two eyes. You have handsome individuals who are called a cyclops or Polyphemus, and they've got they've got two eyes, no more, no less. You have three eyes. You have one eye. It's just gradually this perception has narrowed down and narrowed down. So that in the present, a cyclops, as you find him in a video, nasty, has got one eye only. He eats people. And he's extremely cruel. That's what a cyclops is. But in antiquity, that's the picture we've been trying to create in the book. He was a much more complicated.
0: What's uh, the etymology of the uh, word cyclops?
2: Mm. <laughs> this is going to be
0: my bit again, okay. Andrew. Sorry. <laughs> Go with it.
1: there's a variety of answers to that. In Hesiod, going back to him, 7th century, maybe B.C., the etymology explicitly given in the poem is circle eye, round eye. Because, as Hesiod says, he had an eye as big as a shield. So that's one aspect of it. Modern etymologists have not been content with that and they've Delve more deeply into the Indo European possibilities. For, for instance, kuklopes, that cloaked part, has been identified with the idea of thieving, a uh, robber. Uh, kuklopes has also been seen, kuklos, klopes as an an uh, Indo-European etymology, taking us back to the idea of the theft of the circle of the sun. Uh, You've got about 10 different possibilities uh, Mm. set up by modern etymologists who are not doing the same thing as ancient ancient etymologists were. And none of these modern etymological gambits has carried the field. In other words, there are several still in play. Uh, But the idea of circularity is one which does recur both in antiquity and today. And I think let's not throw out the hesiodic version uh, before anything else. In antiquity, too, uh, there was an an allegorist writing in the first and second centuries AD, who was Heraclitus, and he, too, stressed the cloak spot, the theft part. And so... The cyclopes have been seen as cattle thieves. But the idea of the eye, the round eye, that's the single most um, pervasive etymology. And it comes up still today with the, the cyclops, who is an official in the Ku Klux Club, And you think of John Goodman in Oh Brother Where Art? Oh Where Art That, who is the cyclops, with a, a round, single arm. Um So this has a long history.
0: Mm. And the word itself, cyclops, it confidently is a derivative of a Greek word, then?
1: By a word, you're asking some absolutely mm. superb questions. <laughs> the answer to that would have to be no, mm. because some people chart the etymology in this one. That there could have been uh, a pre-Greek, possibly even related to Linear A, ancestor of the word Kuklops, which was misunderstood by the Greeks. The meaning of that hypothetical earlier word is not known. Uh, but Kuklops, um, just as in, uh, there are a number of uh, mythological figures who are believed to go back to that related to minor, to uh, to linear A possibility, which have reduplications, like Titans, Sisyphus, Kuklops would be one of those. So the scenario would be a possible scenario, pre-Greek, uh, related to linear A, a word Kuklops meaning unknown. The Greeks didn't know what it meant, but to them it sounded like round eye. They equated that figure with their um, one-eyed giant, which they might in part have inherited from folklore. So there's that, but, but that is one strand, one possibility. Again, it hasn't carried the field. But the answer to your brilliant question would be there is that possibility that it may not be green, but it's only a possibility.
0: Interesting. Okay. Going what? The, oh, yeah. Mercedes. Yeah.
2: No, going back to the to this question and to art, the idea of the of the circle eye, but in fact, in art, the, the eye is not represented as circular; is normally a, a, a normal eye, mm.
1: oval eye. Mm. Mm. Again, that gives us. Different perspectives from the art to the text, because the text repeatedly come back to the image of the eye as a shield. The sight eye as a shield, and that for agreed, typically, is circular.
0: I can I can uh see as you're 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 sharing these different considerations um how interesting and fascinating it. Must have been the last decade for you two to work on this project because it really it really is a puzzle when you're trying to piece together all of this material and theories, etc.
2: Of course, yes. Well, it was fascinating. Uh, the, the first division of the work we did was that uh, which I focused mainly on text, and I mm-hmm. focused mainly on on art. But then we we read. Most of the material, and we had plenty of interesting discussions and learning a lot about a fascinating subject. Really,
1: yeah, we uh, we became Cyclops bores, <laughs> without doubt, but not boring to each other. We, we just, no. you know, from the to back, and we still do it. We're still, we're still at it.
0: <laughs> Every, every, every time you're going for dinner or, or a coffee with friends, you're talking about the Cyclopes, were you, over the last decade? <laughs>
2: <laughs> we wouldn't have many friends right now. <laughs>
1: exactly. We just left with each other. <laughs> for sure.
0: Oh, I love it. Okay. Um, what, is the, what is the known physical size of uh, Cyclopes in Greek tradition? And does it change at all? Uh, that physical size based on uh, if if it was uh, um, one of the three uh, categories that you had outlined at the start of the uh, episode, Richard. So we are talking, or we're not talking
1: about the, the physical side. That's the physical side in particular you
0: want. Exactly. Yeah. Like how tall, how tall, approximate weight, etc.
1: Yeah. Again, good question. Good question. Right. One common factor is the use of the hands. The builders use their hands to put together these massive blocks of stone. The, 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 uh, the blacksmiths, the weapons makers, use their hands to hold the hammers that they beat out metal with. And the Cyclopes, typically Polyphemus, use their hands to eat with. He's sometimes described as a raw eater, he's sometimes dis- described as a, a chef a chef from hell, a master chef from Hades, as Euripides describes him. But when he's described as a raw eater, he rips people apart with his hands. So that's one factor. Size, of course, uh, is another common factor to all three types. But more stressed um, say as regards the, the, uh, the builders. The
2: builders. Well, because we assume that obviously if they going to build those huge, they're going to build those huge rocks. They need superhuman strength. They need to be superhuman and huge in in size.
1: Strength, a common Mm. factor too. Uh, And then the final uh, problem is, of course, the monocularity, which is what we've been going on about repeatedly. But that is... Uh, it's never, to my knowledge, said that the builders, the masons, those who built those colossal walls, were one eye. Never, to my knowledge. As regards the um, the blacksmiths, once again, occasionally, I mean, Methodist knows this better than me, but occasionally you find images of them where they have uh, a, yeah, kind well, of a I... hint of a third eye. But usually they too are described as two-eyed. Um, it's it's Polyphemus and his congeners, the, the pastoral ogres, who are more often described as uh, monocular. Does that go some way, Andrew, towards? Yes. Yeah. You?
0: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Richard. Yeah, um, the pastoral ogres. So, so when you when you read the Odyssey, it's um, I think extremely clear for most or all that the uh, polyphemus is a malevolent uh, character in the in the odyssey um you describe the other two types of um uh uh cyclopes the master builders the the weapon makers in that in that kind of description uh to me that sounds what 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 would be the disposition do you think in that case? Is that more benign? Is that benevolent or or rather ambivalent? Uh, What do you think their disposition is in in those first two types of uh, roles in Greek tradition?
1: So by first two types, we're talking the master builders and...
0: The the weapon makers.
1: And the weapon makers. Cooperative between themselves, cooperative with the people, (laughs) with the people they're working with. Mm. Um, on the whole, they're not um, savage. There is one exception, but that. that is always an exception, isn't there, in Greek mythology, and here's this mm. one. Callimachus, 3rd century BC, Hellenistic poet, wrote a poem about Artemis, the goddess Artemis, going to the cyclopedes because she wanted uh, a bow and arrow. She was a precocious preteen, and she wanted a bow and arrow to make it. So she went to the Cyclopes, and they were described as frightening characters. They were at work making a horse trough for Poseidon. So they were working for the gods, Mm. with the gods, cooperative, collaborative, as we were saying just now. But they were hairy when when they were at work, The nymphs were terrified by the noise. So there's an element of savagery there as well, but not to the extent that you find with the pastoral ogres and in particular Polyphemus. But I've got to pick you up, Andrew. Normally these questions have been so sharp, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to pick you up on the word malevolent Mm -hmm. because what had happened to Polyphemus? These guys had just turned up, Mm -hmm. stolen his cheese were fiddling around in his cave with the uh, the goats and the sheep that he looked after so meticulously. so they were defying the laws of hospitality. Okay, he overreacted because he, he ate six. <laughs> he was. ate six of them raw, but still, he who was he? And the parentage you haven't asked me about the parentage yet. We'll, we'll come back to that. But in the Odyssey, his parents were. Poseidon, you can't get more august than that, and a seen him first. And once he'd been blinded, he prayed to Poseidon, saying, look, sort these guys out. This isn't fair, what they've done to me. And Poseidon heard him, and he pursued a distance. So in a great work like the Odyssey, and an even greater work like the Iliad, you don't find just good and bad you find
0: infinite shades of gray. Are they mortal or immortal?
2: Well, again, it's a question of uh, how to perceive all these actions because, uh, after all, uh, again, as Richard has mentioned already, uh, we're talking about the relationship with the gods, and that's also ambiguous because... uh, when uh, Odysseus, according to the laws, the Greek laws of hospitality, and that the god of hospitality, and it's, uh, polyphemus is against the law of hospitality, the seals law of hospitality, so that's, that gives Odysseus a reason to, to act uh, against polyphemus. But on the other hand, as said, uh, it can be the other way around, where Polyph- Polyphemus is the son of a god, mm. and uh, an important god. And uh, Odysseus just appeared there. And, uh, which Richard just said, he ate his cheese. And uh, mm. so all this moral and immoral is, uh, is, in Greek mythology is, is quite a difficult separation.
1: We could come back to the issue of parentage in, in, a, in response to your mm. question, because in Hesiod, mm. the Cyclopes are the children of Gaia and Uranus. Now, not all the children of Gaia and Uranus are gods, but most of them are, and nothing in Hesiod suggests that the Cyclopes too are not more, uh, are not immortal. But when it comes to Odyssey Book Nine we come back to the word complication again. Sometimes Polyphemus is described as an aner, which is a man. And there's another point in the same narrative, same book, book nine, we're told he wasn't like an aner who eats bread. He was something quite different. So same book, same author, uh, contradiction in terms of how we answer your question. So there again, as regards the psychopaths, sometimes they present that they're marginal. And one of the marginalities is that between divinity and humanity. That's why they're so interesting. They're monstrous, that makes them interesting. They're marginal, that makes them interesting. But the question, are they mortal or not, Mm -hmm. that's a tricky one. A minor anecdote about the psychopaths that we find picked up occasionally, is that Apollo killed them with his arrows because they had made the thunderbolts with which Zeus had killed Apollo's son, Asclepius, and Apollo killed them. Now, if you kill somebody, it implies they're mortal. But not always in that tradition. So Greek mythology, there is no s- simple, single truth in Greek mythology. It's far too interesting for that. It's full of elaborate thought experiments. And the Cyclopes embody many of those thought experiments.
0: And whether you, and, and you kindly push push back, I think, in a healthy way, Richard, on the, the term malevolent, when when reading the Odyssey from, from a reader perspective, um, I I I I think m- most would say that um, they they come across as a villain in the in the in the Odyssey. Do they? If you agree with that, um, then that brings to the next the next question: Do they do they show up as um, in the in the role as a villain in any other uh, narratives in Greek uh, tradition?
1: Am I going to accept Andrew's point before we Yeah,
0: yeah. I framed I mean, it so you. I, I left it wide open at the start there. So you can, you can, yeah. yeah.
1: Nice. <laughs> absolutely, you're, you're brilliant at this. Um, I wrote down on a bit of paper, that I pushed towards my fingers, yeah.
0: Polyphemus
1: yeah. Ram. Now, it's, 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 it's such nice. a wonderful he, close relationship, isn't yeah, it? absolutely. Yeah, but he
2: can be so nice to, an animal, you know, which today mm. we find that very touching, you know, when somebody has got, looking at you know, got an animal and a kind of pet or, or is affectionate mm-hmm. you know, towards a, an animal, he's got animal there in the cave and looks after them.
0: But, but he's eating but he's also eating the animals uh live, I, I, isn't isn't he in in the in the narrative
2: well that's a animals or <laughs> <laughs> oh. Only in that image in the, in the <laughs> piazza marina.
1: Absolutely good point. Mercedes mm-hmm. just mentioned Piazza Marina, mm-hmm. middle of Sicily, great place to go, Mediterranean. All your all your orders should be off there, Andrew, if they're not been already. Yeah. And there's a mosaic, floor mosaic, is it 3rd century AD, I think with Polyphemus, with the skin of an eviscerated ram draped over his knee. Now, that suggests, OK, he eats these animals. Not in Homer. No suggestion that he eats them, he looks after them, and they produce cheese. Cheese,
2: and he eats the cheese.
1: And he eats the Basically. cheese.
2: Yeah. And, 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 drink. and drinks the
1: milk. Yeah, yeah. and but drinks not, the milk. Yeah,
2: but not the animal.
1: But not the animal. Mm. So, malevolent, malevolent, well, um, can you think of any out-and-out malevolence in polyphemus images?
2: Well, or everything related to...
1: Some statues, yeah, with, with the human victims, yeah. 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 Nonus, 2nd century AD poet, Cyclopes, um, uh, 18 of them, if I remember, and given names, they fight alongside Dionysus in battle. Um, they're, they're strong, they're vigorous, they're virile. Um, but I'll be malevolent it's it's not so easy as that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: it's
1: not so easy as that you know you can be monstrous but you don't necessarily have to be evil we're not dealing with more generally we're not dealing with a religious system in which there is a devil the devil does not exist in pagan antiquity so many kinds of action which involve violence and aggression they don't have
2: to be Malevolent, because after all the gods, Apollo kills people with sorrows and produces the plague and all that. You don't consider Apollo malevolent, not at that step. Artemis Artem- and Apollo
1: shoot the children of Niobe. Um, Zeus is thunder- thunderbolting people left, right, and center. But again, is is that evil?
2: Mm. It's not the concept. Is not clear for for Greek mythology for
0: no. the for the gods for instance does it does it depend on the tradition so dr uh, Joel uh, christensen from Brandeis University was on the show of, um, a couple of days ago uh, it, it published um so it had published on may may 30 2021 we were chatting about Achilles but um he he used this phrase depending on the tradition that really stood out um, to me we actually got into dialogue about depending on the tradition and um uh, one one of the things, um, paraphrasing a bit, obviously, but the, the, the I- Iliad that we know, as you guys know, is 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 one of um, probably many versions that would have been told orally at, at some point. So when we read the Odyssey, for instance, it's 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 told a certain way. But could it depend on the tradition whether this the uh, cyclopes, uh, whether the cyclops or cyclopes plural? Is malevolent, or if the, or if it's ambivalent, or if it's benign.
1: Well, first of all, it depends what you mean by tradition. Um, if we're looking at the whole of the myth telling tradition from classical antiquity, what we've been saying seems to me to stand that uh, actions by the gods can be violent. Actions by heroes can be violent, and that applies to Achilles just as much. But are they bad simply, too cool like that? Are they good simply? That's a much more difficult question to answer. And usually, one would have to say, it doesn't present itself in those terms. Polyphemus has a case. So I don't see uh, appealing to a different tradition, which we have not to have in front of us, is going to get us out of this. I'd much rather Mm. accept what I see, what I read, as an interesting way of dealing with human behavior and human motivation, come back to it. Shades of gray, not black and white.
0: Yeah, and maybe people will have to individually interpret that point for themselves then, as they as they read into the different mythology.
1: We're not going to disagree with that. <laughs>
0: okay. Okay. Um, so let's go to uh, gender and mating habits. What's known about Cyclopes' is gender or genders and how they mate and reproduce? Well, I would say that they're not really
2: uh, sources for, for bats and being.
1: We've got we, we, we've got to bring in uh, Galatea.
2: Well, yes, of course. But
1: without, uh, without That's shooting. the only yeah.
2: the only yes uh, the only say <laughs> uh, aspect of uh, and in this case it's called film. This is this later from the Odyssey, later source so. so Story a well, love story uh, between Polyphemus and Galatea. She knew and He's in love with her, but uh, the the story is that uh, she doesn't uh, correspond. It's, it's not uh, uh, love, and uh, and then uh, and then there is another element introduced in that story, which is. You no, know, she's, she's not only rejecting Polyphemus, but she's in love with somebody else. And then Polyphemus, uh, jealous, mm. uh, tries to kill aces who will be finally transformed into a river. But again, this is not so simple, because in art, For instance, in in Roman world painting, we find images in which Polyphemus and Galatea are embracing, they are having a a kind of more sexual relationship and uh, which doesn't correspond with what it is in in the written sources, because there has never been a correspondence Polyphemus, uh, love is not uh, accepted by Galatia. Mm. So even that story, oh, it's not it's not that easy, no, to 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 make a okay. This is a story, and
1: everything corresponds to that story. We hear very little about um, gendered or sexual matters in relation. I thought nothing in relation to the builders. Um, similarly in relation to the blacksmiths. Very little, at any rate, isn't that right? Um, So this is why Mercedes is talking about polyphemus, because that's where virtually all the evidence comes. Uh, But it seems that they have families, but very little is made of it. Their social existence is monadic. Uh, They are individuals and not set within the context of family life. In Euripides' play, a cyclops, a satyr play, brings in sex quite often, uh, partly because the other cyclopes never appear on stage. They're, they're just off stage. In a way, they're replaced by the satyrs, who are sex-obsessed. They have become... They just landed up on the territory where the cyclopes live, which is Mount Etna, uh, and they've been made into the slaves of the Cyclops. And at one point, Silenus, who is the father of the Cyclopes, uh, is the father of the Satyrs, excuse me, uh, is dragged off stage by Polyphemus into his cave. And it's quite clear, because he describes Silenus as his little ganymede, But the idea is that he's going to have sex with poor old Silenus, which Silenus is not looking forward to at all. Um, Also, there are references in the same play to um, polyphemus enjoying masturbation. Uh, So we have kind of elements of sexuality referred to by various authors. But what we don't get is the sense that any of the three groups of the cyclopes are embedded in a cohesive family life, self-reproducing... Although if you, as it were, you read between the lines, because the cycle things continue, there must have been such relationships. It's just that wasn't interesting for the myth-tellers.
0: Okay. And I want to go back, uh, Mercedes, to your, your reference of the tradition with Galatea, because that, that um, figure has come up a few times now in, in both your, your your responses, and it is associated to Polyphemus, which is a very popular Cyclops in Greek tradition. Um, he is who appears in the the, the Odyssey. Um, so can you describe what that tradition is as it pertains to Galatea? What, where that come comes from in terms of what's known of the uh, what the tradition is, So Galatea and Polyphemus and who, who what, what's, who's known to have wrote that tradition?
2: Well, the, the the author where we we seen this uh, story first is Theocritus, who is uh, obviously later than Homer, who was the Theocritus of, uh, mm-hmm. century, mm-hmm. and uh, and then after that as well. But obviously uh, there is a big gap between uh, Euripides and the and the and the Odyssey. Uh, Without, without any references to, to this story, which obviously is absent in the Odyssey, which is the which is most familiar. Oh, well, that's why artistic representations of this story with Galatea uh, appear in, in Roman art. You mm. don't find this at all in on Greek, on Greek art. So that's uh, the tradition Obviously, it's, it's not uh, doesn't seem to have been existing in uh, when, with, within the Homeric tradition.
1: Mm-hmm. There was an mm-hmm. anecdote which ascribed the introduction of the Galatea motif to Philoximos a poet in the early fourth century BC, based in Sicily, and it was to been a kind of parody of events in the life of Dionysius, the tyrant of Syracuse. But uh, if that's true, you know, it's one of these anecdotes that people tell about poets. It has no impact on the later tradition. It's not very interesting. Uh, and basically, I think we can just ignore it. But that, if, if it's valid, then, uh, I mean, as Mephades was talking about Theocritus, while we're talking Hellenistic, this would come before that. But um, certainly we're not talking about anything verifiable before the early fourth century BC. And as Mercedes said, so we've got this big gap uh, three, four centuries after the Odyssey, and there's no galaxy there.
0: Okay. okay. And, and in I the... Get... Hold on. Yeah, and Mercedes, in, in, the, in the tradition you did... Uh, come across. Is Galatea presumed then to be a love interest, a female love interest of uh, po- uh, Polyphemus?
2: Well, in this tradition, the normal pattern is that Galatea is not interested uh, in Polyphemus. Mm. Although we find um, a reference in uh, is that in Lucian, Where uh, she, she's talking to uh, another nymph and uh, and she said, oh, well, I know that Polyphemus is, is this and that, but at least I, I got a lover. So she's happy just having a lover, mm-hmm. even if he's got one eye or he's horrible or he's this and that. Uh, so that's a little bit of a joke because the, the main uh, answer is that Galatea doesn't want Polyphemus as her lover.
0: Okay, and she's not a cyclops. I want to clarify clarify so it's believed she's she's not a cyclops. And would she have been mortal or immortal? Well, well she's a she's, she, okay. she's immortal.
2: She's immortal,
0: right? Okay. Um, okay. Closing uh question, but I'm gonna ask you both the same question and you can uh, tackle it in your own individual responses. And I'll start with you, Mercedes. You worked on this, um, project pretty heavily for a decade, um, for at least a decade now. What do you want to have listeners, um, know about the Cyclops in a summarized way? What do you want to get across about the Cyclopes that, uh, people may not fully know already as a result of all the work that you've done.
2: <laughs> well, I think probably what we've said already that, uh, this is not so simple in, uh, that, uh, it's enjoyable to, to work on a, on Greek myth. It's more interesting than what you can see at the uh, first time and uh, it's really enjoyable and, uh, and that things are not so simple and um, uh, you find more and more and more and uh, and it's worth it to, to learn more about these questions and also to read more texts and uh, to have the opportunity to to read more
0: yeah yeah Okay, and Richard, same question for you. You've worked on this project as well, heavily, for uh, a decade, possibly more. Um, what do you want to... Why tackle it? What do you want to have um, people, readers of your book, people that are, are listening, uh, know in summary about the Cyclops that they might not a- already know or realize?
1: Well, I, I pick up the word that method is used, which is complication. I want people to think that... Uh, monstrosity is an idea worth playing with, worth thinking about. If you identify another creature as a monster, then that tells you something about yourself. It tells you something about the limits of humanity, what makes someone different. Why do why do you project your ideas onto another being who may not look like you? Um, we tend to think if we go to movies, if we go to to watch TV series, video games, that a cyclops can be equated with the idea of a cannibal. Your word, malevolent, absolutely would come Mm -hmm. in here. Mm -hmm. But isn't there more to it than that? And our aim was to say, yes, there is. We get cyclops with two eyes, with three eyes, with one eye. We get... Cyclopes in love, you get Cyclopes with a case, with, with a case to answer. Something that justifies their existence, something that is worth relishing. You know? Greek myths are thought experiments. All Greek myths are thought experiments. They get you to think about yourself, about morality, about anthropology, about science. Some people have tried to locate the origin of the cyclops in various places. A volcanic crater, single eye, um, or in something called cyclopia, which is failure of the embryonic forebrain to develop properly. So there's a medical origin to this. Some people have seen it in the skull of a dwarf elephant, which might have been found by uh, Greeks, looked at by Greeks, and they might have seen that as the origin of the cyclops. I think, we think, those are trivializations. What's interesting about a myth is not its hypothetical origin in the real world, wherever that might be, of what makes one of those three explanations more likely than the other. Don't ask me. But the fact that it's a story told and retold to express different meanings. That's why we got interested in the Cyclops. That's why your readers, your auditors, should be interested too, we think. But that's only our view. Every reader is different.
0: The Cyclops, more than meets the eye.
1: If you knew how many talks we've given Mm -hmm which end with that phrase, (laughs) Oh, (laughs) you you would feel really
0: sick. (laughs) It has been a true delight, Mercedes and Richard, uh, speaking with you today on this topic. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank
1: Thank you, Andrew. Love your show.
0: Thank you. Okay, everybody, if you want to read up more on this multidimensional topic, Uh, Dr. Aguirre and Dr. Buxton wrote the monograph Cyclops, The Myth and Its Cultural History. I'll drop a link to it in the show notes on the Ithacabound.com's associated subpage to this episode. Mercedes and Richard and everybody listening, as always, wishing a marvelous journey. Bye for now. Hey again, if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast and I wish you a bountiful rest of your day. Bye for now. Richard and Mercedes, do you guys have uh, till seven minutes after the hour to wrap up the episode by chance?
1: Of course, absolutely.
0: <laughs> okay, great. This is going great. <laughs> I just wanted to ask because I we got into this great dialogue and I realized it's two minutes too already. I don't know where the time went. <laughs>
1: it's great it's enjoyable we can go on for seven hours
0: i would honestly i would i would if i had the time right now and we were out at a patio i would i would chat with you guys about this topic for seven hours we're we're bores (laughs) if you guys are lacking right if i'm if i'm in the area some some sometime and you guys are lacking in friends to go out with to talk about the cyclopees i'm just just call me up Okay, uh, so let's go to uh, gender and mating habits. What's known about